Good morning. The scripture reading today is from Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 through chapter 5, 12. It's on page 6 of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Matthew 4. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, we got to pray. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, we thank you for this time that we can consider your word. And we confess again that you, you love telling us things we would never think or come up with ourselves. That's why it's a, it's a word from outside of ourselves you're giving. It's a supernatural word. We believe that. We affirm our need for the Holy Spirit right now. Speak to us, O oh God. We are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I hate moving. Anyone else hate moving? Let the people say amen. We, <laughs> when we moved into our current house, I, I basically turned to the family and said, that's it. You know, burn the cardboard boxes. We're never doing this again, right? Uh, you know, you're going to bury me out in the back, you know, little plot of dirt we have. This is going to be the last time we ever move. I don't know about you. I don't like it. And I've got a couple of pet peeves when it comes to moving, things that just sort of irritate me, like that, that last carload of junk, right? That last carload after a day of incredible efficiency, why am I taking 86 little trips back and forth to the car, right, only to find a, a snow globe and six hangers in my hands at the very end? Why, 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 right? Other pet peeves, when, when someone packs a box too full or with too many books, making it too heavy, right? Or, or when someone packs a box that's just too empty, so it's sagging and breaking apart and getting crushed and not, not keeping its shape. Or maybe this, when, when someone packs a box upside down, and so you think it's right side up, but right when you open it up, or maybe it falls apart and out comes pouring all the pots and pans and everything's overturned and there's always thumbtacks everywhere. I don't know why. I don't know why. There are always thumbtacks all over the place. 
right? When you've got that box rotated the wrong way and the arrow is pointing this side up and yet everything is pointing down. I wonder if that last image is a little bit of a picture that Jesus is giving here. It's sort of this idea where could it be what if you and I have been living our whole lives like a box that's been turned upside down? Uh, Jesus is inviting us to consider this. He, he's sort of redefining for us sort of the, the values of life that make us tick. For instance, with this key idea, key word, blessing. Or blessedness. Uh, we all have some idea of blessing or blessedness, right? When the Bible uses that word, it uses it to mean the favor of God. When life is flourishing, when things are clicking, when you have fruitfulness, when you have the approval of God working in your life. All of us have some definition of what the blessed life is. What is it for you? Fill in the blanks. Blessed is who or what? This is what Jesus gives us in this passage, what's often called the Beatitudes. Beatitude is simply Latin for blessed or blessing, and it's the first part of this extended teaching that Jesus gives recorded here in the Gospel of Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. Check out this upside-down pattern of blessedness as Jesus defines it. And notice that he's taking this word and he's sort of giving us this arrow saying, this side up. Because you've got it all upside down. Patterns of blessed, blessedness. He lays out eight different qualities of the blessed person. First, he says in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus isn't talking to people or talking about people who are materially poor, people who don't have a lot of money. He's talking about people who don't have a lot of ego. People who are emptied of pride, self-reliance, self-importance, self-sufficiency. People that are emptied simply of self. As New Testament scholar Don Carson explains, to be poor in spirit is to acknowledge spiritual bankruptcy. It confesses one's unworthiness before God and utter dependence upon him. All must begin by confessing that by themselves they can achieve nothing. In other words, those who are poor in spirit have not much of themselves, but they have much of the glory of God. As Jesus promises, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Perhaps Switchfoot puts it best when they sang, blessed is the man who's lost it all. Second, blessed are those who mourn. It's not enough to admit personal spiritual bankruptcy to say I can't, but to say it with your head 
only or with a cold, cold heart. Jesus is talking about mourning for any kind of misery or hardship. Blessed are those whose heart break over the kinds of things that break the heart of God. But he's also referring especially to those who mourn over their sin. Those who don't belittle sin, who don't ignore sin, make excuses for sin and selfishness that infects our lives, our relationships. God shows favor to those who shed tears of repentance, which is simply to say tears of honesty about my brokenness of soul. Those who mourn are promised comfort. They will be comforted, Jesus said, here and now with the sin-covering grace of God. Hallelujah. And one day when Jesus returns, comfort when he will wipe every tear from your eyes. You cannot experience the comforts of the kingdom without experiencing the tears of the kingdom. In this present season of Lent, Perhaps is a good time to practice blessed mourning. In verse 5, we find thirdly, blessed are the meek. Meekness is a commonly misunderstood word, isn't it? Meekness is not weakness. It is humble strength. Excuse me, strength. Humble strength. Meekness is a mixture of, of gentleness and, and patience and self-control in the presence of stress and adversity. It's an exercise of authority, which we all have in one way or another, but authority that's not tyrannical or overbearing or aggressive or harsh. Meekness is what you need in here in order to love your enemy. The fourth beatitude is found in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And these are people who hunger and thirst for God's will to be done, as the Lord's Prayer says, here on earth as it is in heaven, starting with themselves. These are people who strive for personal righteousness, people for whom obedience is not a strange word, obedience to God's word. People who are also committed to public righteousness, also known as social justice as defined by God's word. All unrighteousness around them in their own hearts and in the heart of society grieves such people. They're homesick for the new heavens and the new earth, which 2 Peter 2 calls the home of righteousness, our destination one day. Jesus promises they will be filled, they will be satisfied, now in part, one day in whole, in glory, but until then, they're restless. Restless with the world as it presently is. Restless with the way things are in their souls as it presently is. They ache, they're fighting for righteousness. Are you? Blessed are the merciful. Of course, refers to those who live a lifestyle of forgiveness, not whitewashing over wrongs, but forgiving just as Christ has also forgiven them. And, and not just the big things, 
but also the little things. And you say, that sounds strange. The big things seem harder. Well, sometimes, don't you know, the little things are harder. It's the little debts, the, the little daily moral debts that sometimes are the hardest to cancel, aren't they? With spouse and child and roommate and friend and family member. But Jesus is also referring to compassion for the suffering and needy, you see, because in the Bible, mercy is all about relieving people's suffering, whether if it's the pain of their guilt that you need to forgive, or if it's the pain of disease or financial distress or depression. Loving those around you with compassion, Jesus says, blessed are these, and these will be shown mercy. Jesus also says, blessed are the pure in heart. This is the sixth beatitude. And here he's talking about those who pay attention to their hearts, their inner life, and not just their hands, outward religiosity or ceremony, or even simply only their neighborly deeds. Are you paying attention to what's going on in here? And purity of heart doesn't just mean moral purity. It's talking about purity of devotion to Jesus, an undivided heart, a heart that doesn't have two masters, two ultimate loyalties. No, it's all consolidated. There's integrity of soul. This is a heart that's cleansed of habitual hypocrisy. These, with eyes fixed on God, we're told we'll see God. Almost a blessing of being given what you most want. As you seek with sincere-hearted devotion and single-minded commitment in pursuit of Christ. Now with the eyes of faith, but one day, one day in dazzling literal light, seeing God's eternal glory. Do you want to see God? Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus continues. And notice Jesus isn't talking about peace fakers. He said peacemakers. He's not talking about appeasing people or just keeping everybody happy. He didn't say blessed are the peaceful because peacemaking often means stepping right into the middle of conflict. Which means catching crossfire once in a while. Jesus is referring to people that are devoted to all forms of reconciliation. Whether interpersonal conflicts or intergenerational conflicts or intramarital conflicts or interracial conflicts. Any kind of hostility that divides our commonality, our relationships, our society tends to delight in fights. Peacemakers weep over division, weep over bitterness and strife. Jesus says they will be called children of God, sons of God, because they reflect something of the character of their heavenly father, their father who reconciles us to himself by the blood of his son. As theologian John Brodus put it powerfully, there is no more godlike work to be done in this world than peacemaking. Last and the eighth beatitude Jesus lists here is found in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, persecution. 
is a form of blessedness. Is it really? He didn't say persecuted because of obnoxiousness. He said because of righteousness. And in verse 11, he says because of me. Which, of course, includes taking on the Beatitudes themselves. In other words, being marginalized or excluded or even demoted, perhaps, for being too humble. Or too willing to take responsibility for wrongs. Or too meek and not fighting enough. Or too committed to public righteousness and justice or too uncompromising in personal ethics and righteousness. Jesus is not encouraging us to seek out persecution, but he certainly is telling us that we shouldn't run away from it or sulk when you get it or retaliate when you receive it or even be surprised as if something strange were happening to you when it happens. It's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German Lutheran pastor and theologian, who was unwavering in his opposition to the Nazi regime, even in the face of constant threats of imprisonment and torture and eventually himself being executed in a concentration camp, it's why he could say without blinking, suffering is the badge of true discipleship. He says the disciple is not above his master. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ. And it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. If you suffer for Jesus' name, you're becoming more like him. That's a blessing. And when we understand this, we begin to understand the mystery of these words in verse 10. Persecuted, yours is the kingdom of heaven persecuted in verse 11 great is your reward in heaven you are blessed before we move on here i want to encourage you each of you in the coming week to pick one of these one of these eight and to ponder it in the coming week of course, all of these are organically related. You can't have one without the other. Some are prerequisites to the other. You can't be a, a peacemaker without meekness. And you cannot dispense radical mercy without a commitment and hunger for righteousness. But if you could just pick one for the sake of practical focus, ponder it, pray over it, look for evidence of it in your life, give God praise when you see it, be humbled by its absence in your life and seek to cultivate it. Practice this pattern of blessedness that Jesus commends to us. But as you do so, don't miss, don't forget the peculiarity of this blessedness. And what I mean by that. That there's a peculiarity to this pattern of blessedness is simply to invite you to recognize and to really let this sink in. Jesus means this to be a radical turning over of the values of this world. He means this, in fact, to be nothing less than an absolute revolution of life as we know it. This is not a mere suggestion of a little tweak in character. Be a little bit more humble. This is supernatural stuff 
which ought to revolutionize lives, communities, neighborhoods, cities, indeed, the entire world. How do we know? Well, Jesus is speaking of this blessedness specifically in the context of his announcement of a coming kingdom. We heard that word twice already. In verse 3 and in verse 10, Jesus promises, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In chapter 4, verse 23, in the top paragraph of our reading, we're told that Jesus began his ministry proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And even the miracles that he is performing, and we'll talk about that more in the coming weeks, but those are visual aids to the people around him that they would see little previews of what the kingdom would one day look like, healed of diseases, where evil is defeated, where death is no more. Jesus is bringing about a ministry of the kingdom. And you got to understand if you're anyone in power in that day, whether if you are a king or Caesar or emperor or a governor or a tax collector or anyone that is bound up and weaved into the power structures of his day, to hear someone say a new king is here and a new kingdom is coming is an absolute word of subversion. In today's language here, it would be like someone standing up and announcing loud and clear, a new president is here, a new administration is here. This is good news of a new government, a spiritual government and a spiritual king. But there absolutely is no doubt here that Jesus is bringing about and proclaiming the subversiveness of life in the kingdom that is breaking in through his cross. He's announcing a a revolution, a reversal of the world's values. This pattern in the Beatitudes is a total turning upside down with an arrow pointing straight up. A reversal of all your attitudes towards the things in life in this world where normally we're just so bound up in power and comfort and status where blessedness to us is self-sufficiency I shouldn't have to ask anything for anyone Jesus says no 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 blessed are the poor in spirit and where we think and we live in a world that says blessed are the strong the flawless Jesus says no no blessed are the meek We say, blessed are the popular. No, blessed are the persecuted. We say, blessed are the mercenary. Who are really good at using people without looking like it. Jesus says, no, blessed are the merciful. Those who give of themselves sacrificially both forgiving and giving compassion to those in need. You see, Jesus is introducing to us a kingdom in which the way up is the way down, in which the way of the cross is the way to the crown. 
As the old Puritans prayed in this prayer called the Valley of Vision, he's inviting us for this sort of prayer to be upon our hearts. Lord, let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. Theologian Helmut Tielica once wrote this, that what Jesus is talking about here is that anybody who enters into fellowship with Jesus must undergo a transvaluation of values. That everything that you thought you held dear and that meant life was important and that made you who you were in some respects would be turned on its head. As John Stott, also theologian and teacher, wrote, such a reversal of human values is basic to biblical religion. The ways of the God of Scripture appear topsy-turvy to men. The culture of the world and the counterculture of Christ are at loggerheads with each other. It's a supernatural kingdom that is literally out of this world. And Jesus is presenting this as a virtual revolution because no one thinks like this. No one defines blessedness and blessing like this, not naturally. And you won't either, I won't either, unless our nose is in God's word unless our hearts are soaked in the gospel of Jesus, unless our life is electrified by the Holy Spirit, unless our consciousness is framed by the cross of Christ, because how else would you start to believe that victory could be achieved through a death? How else would you believe that life would be given through a death? How else would you believe that it's possible for you in your life unless you saw it working itself in Jesus, in his life, indeed, in his death. And so I, I encourage you, again, to go back to this list in the coming week, and as you pick out one thing, I, I want to make sure that you understand that you are getting the radical, otherworldly nature of these things. This is not about making minor adjustments in life just to be able to say, I did something differently today. Will you let the grace of God revolutionize your value system? Would you let the kingdom of God turn your life upside down, which is another way of saying giving you life? Turning it not upside down, but finally right side up. Because Jesus here in this passage is giving you an arrow and he's saying this side up, this way up. My way is the blessed way. So we have this peculiar pattern, and then you ask, how do you do it? What's the power? Because if it's that radical, then it's that radically hard, isn't it? 
good news, of course, is that Jesus gives us power to turn our lives right side up in this fashion. But you have to understand that the key to finding spiritual power to live this way is not simply to look at Jesus as an example of all these things, but rather to see yourself right here in the middle of the passage, even right in the midst of that top paragraph in this passage, not in the role of Jesus, but rather in the role of the diseased and the sick and the possessed and the paralyzed. Do you see Jesus healing you? Have you experienced Jesus forgiving you? Have you experienced Jesus teaching you? Do you understand? Because the power of living a life of reversed values is embracing the Jesus who reversed places with you. Jesus who was the king of glory and yet who came poor in spirit to have you. Jesus who came with eternal joy, yet left it all that he might become a suffering servant who mourned for you. Who left all the comforts of heaven and the infinite fellowship of the Father and the Spirit in order to be tortured on the cross, not just in body, but most especially in soul. The one who was eternally satisfied and yet became cosmically crushed and dissatisfied when he looked around and realized that the Father had departed in utter wrath, crying out, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This one who put himself where you deserve to be so that you could be where he alone deserves to be. Where he took your place on the cross in judgment and damnation and condemnation that you might know the blessing, the blessedness of God. And when you fling wide open your soul and you take in this good news of his kingdom, when it becomes deeply personal and personally electrifying, then and only then do you find the creeping power of the Holy Spirit rising up, making you more like the king, giving you grace to become more like the one who loved you so and whom you are learning to love. Do you see Jesus' peculiar pattern for life, the power for which only comes through him? This is what he presents to you. This is what he offers you. This is what he invites us to in the Beatitudes. Will you consider them? Will you let your life be changed by them radically in a revolutionary sort of way? Because blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger for righteousness and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. If you're in Christ, blessed are you. Let's pray. We pray that you would give us a taste of this blessing. 
that you would change our lives and through us change our neighborhood blocks, our communities, our families, our cities. We pray that you would do this for your glory, for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and let's pray.